You're listening to the 515 Podcast, led by Pastor John Wayne McMahon with Kingwood United Methodist Church in Kingwood, Texas. Thanks for downloading. Good afternoon, and welcome to episode 36 of the 515 Podcast. Uh, this is Jason Priestmeyer with John Wayne McMahon, as usual. How are you doing, sir? I am... Fantabulous. You know, I'm going to ask the same exact question. I feel dumb saying the same question, but you always pause. I'm like, oh, what's he going to do? Did, did I stump him this time? Every time you get me. That's a good, you're just looking for a good vocabulary word. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. Just measuring my mood before I answer. That's good. You can do that on, on the way over here. I could, but it may change. No, like, I like it. You know, more time I spend with you, it could change my mood. So That's absolutely, I'm usually trends in the right direction. Taking that? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> um, Two weeks ago, I was going to re-explain what the 515 podcast is, and I forgot to do it at the beginning of the sermon. I yeah. thought, you know, we might get new listeners, and we might want to kind of just... This is a perfect time to do it. You know, right in the middle of the sermon series, why, why not? So mm-hmm. um, my explanation is not as good as yours, because you're a professional speaker. <laughs> no, go for so, it. Okay. Um, historically, the King of United Methodist Church had a Saturday service for several months, which was great, because... It was smaller. It was at a different time, and it allowed, it allowed a lot of kind of social interaction and also um, interaction with you during the, the sermon. Yeah, even during the sermon. Yeah, mm-hmm. so you brought questions you wrote up on a whiteboard, and people would answer them and then come up with their own questions mm-hmm. and their own answers, and that was really great. Uh, when that service kind of went away uh, in natural course, I thought, um, and I know you did as well, that we should continue that. Yeah. And that's how this podcast came to be. Yeah. So I'm really excited. Um, yeah, we're looking for a, another medium to capture the heart of yeah. kind of the good things that were that was in that 515 service. The people were there really loved it. And mm-hmm. I think the people who weren't there just kind of missed the opportunity and, and probably... They just didn't know about it. They didn't know about yeah. it, you know. Yeah. So yeah. I yeah. hope that we can continue the spirit of that yeah. uh, through this every, every week. Yeah. And we've been doing great for... 36. Yeah, and uh, I think I think so. the other our other goal is that how can we help you continue your growth throughout the week? Mm-hmm. So that's why this is a kind of a midweek um, resource that we try to get in into your podcast app, into your your uh, cars on your way to work or yeah. whatever it is. Um, or maybe it's a snow ice apocalyptic day that you're experiencing and you want to listen to I something. I hope none of our yeah. listeners were stuck in their car for four hours overnight, yeah. Like, yeah. like I, I heard, I heard happen on the freeway, yeah. you know, yeah. people were worried about they're running out of gas or yeah. just... I hope their, everybody was okay. The, the road was locked But down if you were, I hope you, you had plenty of good listening material. <laughs> yeah. 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 So... So, um, so let's go on and let's get into this week's uh, topic. We're, we're in the sermon series, uh, Questions... I, I'm sorry. I'm gonna Questions I'd like to ask. I'd God. like to ask God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this one is the Bible true. So I was yeah. like, "Whoa, big one." Yeah, big one. Yeah. Sure. So how did uh, how did how did you approach mm. uh, answering this? And I know part of the answer is probably going to be went to seminary. Yeah. But yeah, uh, tell tell me kind of tell your some of your thought process about that and how you uh, approached this sermon this last week. Yeah. So this is a big one, and it actually takes really all of me and all of my training to even try to start to get my head around some of the ways to answer this. It doesn't mean that the person that doesn't go to seminary can't know some of these things, but right. to present on it, mm-hmm. um, it's even a, it's way over my head. So what I did a lot of research this week, just trying to 
draw from some different experts in in the um, different apologetics or mm -hmm. understanding of what the Bible is. And um, so just did a lot of research there, tried to bring in some facts, but also try to put myself in the position of the person that would be hearing the sermon. Um, and what are the questions they're asking of the text? Or what problems have they had with the Bible in the past? And, yeah. Um, what struggles or difficulties and, and things like that or, or you know. So that was kind of my my approach to it. Um, when it comes to answering this question, there's so many experts that, like there's so many different fields that fall under the umbrella of this question. I mean, there there is source criticism. There is literary criticism. The, the source critics are the ones that try and uh, find and measure the amount of sources or how biblical authors use sources. Um, literary critics, critics that are looking at style and genre mm -hmm. and how it fits in their time period and uh, is it accurate. There's cultural critics that are looking at cultural background and does... Does the writings that we have in the Bible fit the common time period that we can measure with archaeology and other things that we have found and know to be true of the same time period of the early first century? You know, all, all of those things. Yeah. Um, and there's many, 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 many more uh, areas of expertise. And so this past Sunday, I just try to kind of give an overview, really thinking about what maybe what questions you might have. So I don't know how well I did, but it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. So I encourage you to listen to the Vine podcast if you want to hear that and hear more about why we can trust the Bible and, and the trustworthiness of, of the Holy Scripture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think back, uh, or I think about all, just what you just talked about, mm -hmm. all the different scholars and mm -hmm. classes mm -hmm. and historians and everybody that is constantly pouring over this this mm -hmm. book right. as a whole, and how that literally can't will never end. Right. I mean, you're never going to, solve this and say, okay, we're done here. Let's move on to the next book. <laughs> Whatever. Well, and, and the person might think that the further we get away from it, the the more we lose when it comes to accuracy. Yeah. And that's actually not true. Mm -hmm. The further we go, the more we find out. We're actually learning more and more about biblical Greek and Hebrew as time goes on. Mm -hmm. I'll talk about that a little bit. We're finding more manuscripts that are ancient. Um, just in the last 20 years, we found uh, manuscripts that get us inside the first century, mm -hmm. uh, meaning we found documents that are copies of the very original language um, that are less than 100 years old, which that may mean nothing to you, but it's actually unparalleled. It's a really big deal. Yeah. Um, because for, for anything on paper to survive that long, it's really hard. And for mm -hmm. us to get as close to it as possible is a big deal. So anyways, point being, the further further we go, we're, we're learning more and more about it, um, about the Bible every day. So. so one of the first things you said um, was that, obviously before this was put on paper, is that this was an oral story. This mm -hmm. was something that was told and retold mm -hmm. um, year after year after generation, you know. Um, how is and and you touched on it Sunday, but let's go over it again. How is this something that you can trust? Because you've you do you know the old game where you whisper something in someone's ear and it goes around a circle by yeah, ten telephone. people, mm -hmm. yeah, and mm -hmm. then it's totally different before or um, yeah. by the time it gets back to you. How is this? How is this something that was done differently than what we can think of today and really yeah. kind of get our head around? Yeah. So um, it's a great question, and the reason why it exists is because when you start to look at um, the, the manuscripts and what we know, let, let's talk about the Gospels first and foremost. So when we start to look at the Gospels, what we think is that we can date uh, the very first written Gospel, which is Mark, 
to somewhere between 30 and 40 AD. So you're putting that a few decades, almost a few decades, yeah. probably somewhere around 30 years after mm-hmm. Jesus. And so, um, or uh, not, not, not too far after Jesus' death, but missing some of the early stories. And it's down the road, right? Two, between two and three decades down the road. And mm-hmm. so the question is, if it's not written down till then, like how can we trust the accuracy of the written manuscript to what actually happened eyewitness because if i were to witness something today and then 30 years from now try to recapture all the details you wouldn't trust probably my eyewitness account of that and my argument sunday and and what i want us to think through is is our standards or our experience of eyewitness accounts and how we retell stories is not uh the same context to which the biblical context was so in other words these people less than 20 percent could read um in in antiquity during jesus time and mm-hmm. so everything was an oral tradition so i i use the example of my grandfather even my grandfather can tell stories and use details in a way that i can't even touch and it's because his experience and his upbringing was very different than mine and it was more of an it was even then more of an oral tradition and we're talking about a much different time than yeah. even what my grandfather grew up in. And so um, that's important to understand. And then the other, other thing, when it comes to Jewish culture and Jewish understanding, these students of rabbis, they would listen to a teacher. And so everything that happened in Jesus, in the Gospels around Jesus, and, and what we know to be true about rabbis and, and uh, disciples of teachers is that what we see of Jesus is really common. So the teacher would give these lectures or teachings and um, any entertainment that took place, like at the end of John's gospel, when there's um, when they're getting together and he does the foot washing and there's all these teachings, that was like the kind of like um, the entertainment for the night around dinner. It was common for people hmm. to bring in philosophers or speakers to come and give uh, a lecture as sort of the entertainment. You don't have like board games or netflix to watch together and so that was kind of like around dinner time they would have this teaching but but what was common for jewish uh experience was that the disciples would memorize like they would memorize word for word these teachings and they would recite them back to each other so that they could hold the accuracy and and they would literally practice what they're learning together so they would hold on to it and and the retention rate for even the common person in this time is a million times different than what you and I experience, really. Uh, particularly for for me, as I think about how I live uh, between 160 characters. Yeah, right. You know, like, like, <laughs> like I just have a 30-second time span. Like It's yeah. hard for me to remember what I read on the last page of the book I'm reading, much less to be able to hear a speech and be able to, to recount it word for word. Mm-hmm. I might be able to capture the meaning. but So it's very different. And so we've got to be careful not to hold... Um, what's happening in the Bible context up to what our experience is because yeah. it's very different. Just because you don't think that you could do it yeah. doesn't mean that people uh, ages ago yeah. weren't p- perfectly capable of doing that. type. Yeah. yeah. So I use the example Perfect. of someone going into a theater and hearing someone uh, recite the Homer, mm-hmm. uh, the Iliad, for example, and it'd be three, four, or five hours long. And these people, known as the bards, could stand up and recite everything by memory immediately. Yeah. Um, and so that's the kind of like that. Those might be the home run hitters of the time. But you think of all of the children uh, in the Jewish faith. Most of them were required to re- memorize mm. the Torah. 
those are the first five Bible books of the Bible. Yeah. Like to memorize all of that scripture early on, that's that's much different than what we we know to be true and what what our experience is. Yeah. Okay, so there are many books of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Pretend I know the exact number because I don't remember. Sixty six. Thank you. Yep. But the Gospels stand out. Yeah. As being. Um, First off, mainly what we're talking about, obviously that's closest to Jesus, right. Jesus' ministry. Um, what makes those books different than, or those stories different than all the other books in the Bible? Why do yeah. they stand out? Yeah, so first of all, those are biographical kind of genres. Okay. So not all, not, not many of our books are solely surrounding one person. Like mm-hmm. even if the prophets are talking, they're going to be around... Um, events or all of Israel or like they're they're focusing on different things there's not many books that focus just on one person I mean like and and particularly Jesus is the full revelation of God this is what like this is the climactic kind of part piece of the Bible what everything's kind of leading up to this point and and then everything that happens in the New Testament beyond the Gospels is kind of interpreting and, Mm -hmm. and giving teaching and encouragement based on who Jesus is and so um, the Gospels are very unique and then in that it, it gives you the opportunity to actually walk with the disciples and with Jesus and to, to see how Jesus responds and moves and talks and, and, and what's important to Jesus and how he teaches and how he prays. And mm-hmm. so it, it's really unique within itself. Um, but, but primarily that they were written, centered and focused on the person of who Jesus is and they all have different nuances and focuses but they're all centered around Jesus so yeah. that's what really makes them most important that's where the while well, we start with those and then you can really start to work into some of those other books that reveal Jesus in a different way but that's a great place to start is with the gospel so you know, we, we touched on and then you're going to come back to it today the different uh, translations of the mm-hmm. Bible but mm-hmm. let's talk about just the different uh, Perspectives of the story that yeah. makes up the four different gospels. Yeah. How um, how do those different tellings of the story mm-hmm. um, corroborate itself mm-hmm. or differentiate from each other? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot I could say about how different they are. First of all, um, the synoptic gospels Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar, and they share a lot of stories. And I can go into that first. Mark is written first. Um, and then what we what we know to pretty much know to be true is that Matthew and Luke use Mark as their main source, mm-hmm. okay. and so they're going to pull parts from Mark, and then they're gonna you're going to find them in both Matthew and Luke. So you're going to see a lot of similarities there. Then Matthew and Luke shares information that's not in Mark, mm-hmm. and so we think that they had another source that they both used uh, to write those. And so um, there's where you see some crossover. John's Gospel. Uh, possibly uses one of them as a source, but he also has a much different focus, and so he he's his gospel is very different. Um, there's a couple things I want to say about like the differences and why it's okay. Mm-hmm. First, if you and I were to see a car accident, um, even if we were standing in kind of the same area, you would have a perspective that would be different than mine. Both visually, you would see things depending on where you're standing. Uh, you would see things that I wouldn't see. Um, the other thing is you would pick up on details of this accident yeah. that I may not pick up on. You might focus on one car hitting another car and the damage that happens in the vehicle. 
I might focus on the person inside Mm -hmm. and what happens with that person. Or I might focus on how the accident began and you might be able to. And so when you retell the story, you might tell some different details that doesn't make your story wrong versus mine, but it just lifts up different things. The other thing I want to say is like there, the Gospels took a lot of heat in the early 19th century or early 20th century mm-hmm. and, and really over the last 20 or 40, 20, 40 years. But it started in like 1915, 1920. Um, people started to compare these biographies to essentially the biographies that we write today. And they started to realize that there are stories in the Gospels that, for example, that it would be at the beginning of Mark's telling of Jesus's experience on earth. And then you look at Luke, and it's like at the end. Yeah. And so they're saying, okay, did it happen? Or in some of the Gospels, maybe something happens twice in one of them and doesn't happen twice in the other. Like Jesus goes through a city twice in one of the Gospels, mm-hmm. but in one of the other ones he doesn't. And so people started to lift these up as like super problematic. Yeah. Um, part of that was because some scholars started to make a grand narrative by kind of combining them all and trying to figure out exactly what Jesus did when he was on earth. And I think that that's probably doing some things that we shouldn't. And it was probably because people were trying to make movies and stuff like that. Yeah, and, right. You know, <laughs> um, I think that's probably unfair of the text. But here's here's what we know to be true: as we started to realize that these gospels should be compared to works in their time, not works in our time. Yeah. And so we started to compare them to ancient biographies and the way that people were writing about persons back in antiquity in the ancient Near East. When Jesus kind of is is here mm-hmm. and exists in, in the first couple centuries afterwards, and what we see is a lot of similarities between the Gospels and those, and, and a couple of important ones. The biographers have more freedom to move stories around in their narrative. Yeah. It is not... It is not so important they present everything chronologically. A biographer writing today, you would think he was crazy if he talked about someone's birth and then he jumped up to another point and then Mm -hmm. jumped back a little bit unless he was trying to do something really creative. But the ancient biographers, it was okay for them to try and communicate one main focus or main point and to move different events around or expound on different events or shorten different events that was completely acceptable that was actually how everyone wrote that was how these biographers were trained and learned to write is to be able to communicate a point rather than trying Mm -hmm. to communicate chronology their goal of these writings is not to prove historical chronology but to prove Jesus was here. So for Matthew, he's trying to show that Jesus is the is the Jewish Messiah that they've been expecting. And so everything he's going to tell is through the lens of the Jewish understanding and who he's come to be. John's gospel written like in somewhere between 70 and 90 AD, the, the, the last gospel written, mm-hmm. he's trying to communicate um, more of a theology. There's some people that are starting to exist in the world that are saying that Jesus wasn't God. He was just a man. Mm -hmm. And so John is going to spend a whole lot of time showing the divinity of Jesus. So John chapter 1 is unlike any of the other beginnings of the gospel. The Word was with God. The Word became God. The Word became flesh and dwelt. um, The Word was God and the Word was with God and became flesh and dwelt among us. Um, that that is trying to show that Jesus truly is God and that he's come into our story it's communicating a theology and so the rest of his communication is going to surround kind of this high Christology of who Jesus is does that make sense long answer no but, that's cool yeah and that's perfect. only that's only the first part of, of yeah. what we could talk about with all 
the differences and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I the just, cool thing is, is if you take two stories uh-huh. and you see some differences between the Gospels, you can learn a lot about what that author, what his main goal is and what he's trying to communicate by the way he changes the story from that's one cool. of the other authors. Yeah, yeah, that's real cool. Yeah. Yeah, these these people that were complaining back in the early 1900s you're talking about have obviously never seen a Tarantino film, you know, which... Yeah, they had no idea. They weren't <laughs> they, ready for it. They their were not their ready. mind probably exploded with Tarantino there. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Um, so... I'm, I'm still. I've got the feeling that we're not going to solve all of this today. No, There's no just way. Ways in which yeah. more that could be said that we even have time for. We'd be here and you yeah, go to hope, church on Sunday. My hope is that we just kind of spark some interest yeah. and get people. Thinking. So if if someone if someone does want to study more about this or read some more, do you have any um, good other source like? Extra biblical is the term used earlier, which is very fancy. But mm-hmm. besides the Bible, what other kind of books or sources do we have to look at uh, to learn about the Gospels? Yeah, so I, I probably can't recall any titles to recommend. What's a good way to do? We should, but do, we should compile this list somewhere. And yeah, so people so, ask you. So maybe it. if you're really interested in this, yeah. email me. But but like you, so you can look into historians. A lot of people that have been in church have heard the name Josephus, which is a Jewish historian that wrote about Jesus but was not a Christian. Um, There is different—it depends on what you want to learn. Like, I could recommend some uh, archaeological books that talk about how it attests to different things within the time period. Um, Sometimes cultural uh, cultural historical background commentaries Mm -hmm. are the best kind of ones to, like— understand what's going on behind behind the scenes and how this made sense so like um i think you bought the bible that i recommended right yeah yeah so that one that one is a cultural background Mm -hmm. commentary bible and in that commentary those guys are telling you what was going on in that time period that made the author's point of view so important and so when paul for example is talking in romans he starts to talk about the statues that are around Mm -hmm. and the ones that they're well, that's important because those were kind of the gods that the Romans would give themselves to and things like that. And so some of those things are lifted up so that we know it fits into actual culture and it makes sense in that in that setting. Yeah. There's a lot of things. I could, so if you're interested in that, come talk to me and we'll we'll point you in the right direction Perfect. because there's probably too many too yeah. many examples I could yeah, give. Yeah, that study Bible is one I just kind of picked on a whim. I was yeah. going through a bunch of different ones. I'm like, this one looks right. It had the right number of pictures in it yeah. i really like maps a lot yeah, yeah and yeah. then it had a lot of kind of just like oh sidebars and, oh and yeah then, that's right you got it and i just saw it yeah and, yeah, then, yeah. and you're like oh i know this guy and yeah and, and then yeah. you started rec- you recommended it to me it's like oh i'm that was very fortuitous yeah, <laughs> that yeah. we got a, uh it's almost the the spirit at, in work there there's a there was a movement in the 90s that went to try and uncover the historical jesus mm-hmm. like some of it was good and some of it was bad but there's a lot of books out there that you can look into that uncover some of the logistics of, of who Jesus is and and being able to understand like uh, the extra biblical accounts of the crucifixion mm-hmm. and the resurrection and things like that. And so there's a lot out there. Um, I think there's a ton of videos like on Amazon yeah. Prime as well. I yeah. was flipping through that or not. Some of them are so boring though. I've tried I to know. watch some of them. Yeah. I, I, I was, yeah uh, Christians I, have got to get it together. Really fire one of these up. Yeah. Um, I tried to watch one on um, C.S. Lewis the other day, and mm-hmm. I just, it was awful. 
You just got to be careful with those documentaries. You got They're to, so yeah. boring. Yeah. Yeah. If, if it's starting to turn you off early in the beginning, that's a good sign. Go ahead and just yeah. punch out. Just uh, But but um, again, it, come come see me if you yeah, want some you recommendations. Go. I try not to recommend the really boring, nerdy stuff, but maybe some things that will really spark some interest. But if you have those interests, please explore them because I feel like there's some really cool things behind yeah. those explorations. Kind of do your own little mm-hmm. uh, investigation. I, mm-hmm. I like that. Okay, so we talked about it at the beginning, and you promised you would touch on the translations. Actually, Sunday you said that during the sermon. That was yeah. a great plug for the 550 podcast, so I'm glad, glad you, yeah, you so, threw that in. So hope you're, hopefully you're here because I threw the plug. graphic up on the screen right when you said Did it. You? So, yeah, I'm like covering all the bases. Nice. Look at you. All yeah. star. <laughs> so let's, let's do it. Let's get into that. Let's talk about these different translations. How come there are so many of them? Yeah. And how do we trust them and yeah. all of that stuff. And which one's the right one for me? Yeah. No. Yeah. So I may not be able to answer that, but okay. I hopefully I can give us some tools. So so think about this. Our English Bibles are translations from the original original languages of writing. So three different languages in the Bible, Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. Mm-hmm. And our English Bibles are translations of that. It's impossible to translate completely imperfect from one language to another, particularly Think about English and Hebrew, yeah. really, specifically, uh, very far apart. Hebrew is uh, ancient language with um, very very limited vocabulary, mm-hmm. so it's a smaller language, but it's still really complicated, and, and so to try and think that there's some kind of one-for-one ratio for a Hebrew word to an English word, it's just it just doesn't exist. Yeah. And so, um, therefore, we have several different translations from different methods of translating. So there's lots of methods on how to translate. But I'm going to try and sum it, sum it up in these two different methods. And I think you can kind of find all of them on the spectrum. One is a word-for-word translation. Mm-hmm. The other one is a meaning-for-meaning translation. And both of them have their use, and they have positives and negatives. So let me give you some of them. The word-for-word translations are literal interpretations aiming at maintaining word usage, structure, and grammar of the author. These translations presume ancient context. Some problems with them are that they may not read as smoothly. So if I take the Greek word and I'm trying to translate it word for word for English, and I'm, I'm working through the translation at this word for word okay, pace, yeah. um, sometimes it may, think about, it may not read very smoothly at all. So some of the real stringent word-for-word translations, it's, it sounds like terrible English. Mm, yeah. uh, but, but it's trying to be accurate to grammar and structure of sentences and, and word choice and things like that. So what's, what are some of those translations? So some of those translations would be um, the uh, RSV, the ESV, the NRSV. Okay, yeah. So if you're in the traditional service uh, in the sanctuary, mm-hmm. they, they preach from the NRSV, I think. Okay. And it's from a pretty word-for-word translatable uh, text. When I do some of my beginning studies as I'm researching before I get to preaching, I use a word-for-word translation so that I can track better the original content and language so that I can see sentence structure okay, and get cool. closer to what the original author mm-hmm. is saying with word choice. Um, when I'm at my best, I'm looking at the original language and I'm trying to parse that out right. uh, first and foremost. But uh, for the basic student, 
you you use one of those more straightforward. But the problem is, is think about like if you ever saw on Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Fallon does this this little skit where, um, like I saw him doing this with Fat Amy from Pitch Perfect uh-huh. during Christmas. Where if you don't know who that is, just bear with me, okay? <laughs> uh, I'm not trying to be a jerk by calling someone Fat Amy. That's her name that's in the it. movie. Right, You're right. like, okay, anyways. And my wife made me go see that movie, so that's how I know. Anyway, it's so, a good movie. Yeah, okay. so the first one. Yeah, the fr- I don't know, maybe. So, anyways, <laughs> so uh, Jimmy and Amy were doing this thing where they took uh, Christmas jingles and put them through Google Translate into a language, and then translated them back to English. Yes, and then they sang these songs, and they were hilarious, yeah. and they were so far from the English. Uh, the original intent of the English. And that's kind of an example. When we translate from one language to another, um, it's kind of hard to read and it doesn't make sense and we kind of lose some of that meaning. And yeah. so those are some of the downsides to word for word. Uh, meaning for meaning translations are interpretations of the intended meaning. So a lot of times these translations can take a paragraph at a time or a pericope or, a, a, sorry, that's a dirty word, a segment uh, kind of a section of a text okay. and try to translate the meaning as a whole rather than going word for word yeah. so that they can better capture the intent of the original author mm-hmm. rather than the individual wordage of the author. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Pretty geeky. I like it. Yeah, it is pretty geeky. Um, so you cannot translate. The problems with this is you can't translate cultural illusions. Mm-hmm. So if I were to use any kind of sayings like, yeah, when pigs fly kind right. of thing right now, and then 2,000 years from now, that culture is going to have a hard time understanding what I was talking oh, about yeah, and how sure. to translate that. So that's some of the problems to this. Um, some of the problems with this is that um, – or some of the good things about this is it's easier to read and understand – um, it flows better. Mm-hmm. It gets closer to common English, like common day English, like because English is different than it was 10 years ago and different than it was 50 years ago and different than what it was 100 years oh, yeah. ago. And so these more current translations in this meaning for meaning speak more like you and I would speak. And so when someone reads like the New Living Translation mm-hmm. or the NIV, which I preach in the NIV, and I'll tell, talk about that in a minute, um, or any of these kind of more meaning for meaning, it sounds better and yeah. it's easier to follow along and to read. But you're still losing some of the intended uh, language and word for word structure and grammar. You may not care about that, but that's right. That's yeah. kind of just where, be warned going in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So some examples of that are the NIV, uh, the um, the New Living Translation. I'm I'm having a hard time thinking of others, but they kind of fall into that area. Okay, one more translation. This translation is called the paraphrase, and I would really be careful with it. So if you have the Message Bible <laughs> okay, or the yeah. Living Bible, those paraphrases are really a translation of a translation. Mm-hmm. So they're just so far removed from what the original language was saying. Yeah, I would use them more devotionally, and I lo- actually love reading. Like if I'm, if I'm doing a um, sermon, after I'm done with a sermon, a lot of times I'll go get the Message Bible and mm-hmm. see what it says about that text because it sound, it, it just has a poetic feel for it, yeah. a way of putting it. But I won't use it to parse out what the, the author is trying to say. Now, I saw when I was looking uh, for that Bible I was shopping for, mm-hmm. there was another one. It was it was NIV-based, but it was more a story of the Bible. Not, yeah, uh, see, like that's a, a paraphrase. Total paraphrase, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was, and it admitted to being that up front, mm-hmm. but it was, it was more like reading a novel. Yeah. Of the Bible, yeah. See, these are they're great for readability, yeah. and they contain creative interpretation of the text, but should not be considered authoritative. Yeah. That's that's kind of where I draw the line that's here. That's cool. 
Um, so finally, it's important uh, to think about King James. There's a lot of people out there that may be using oh, yeah. the King James and thinking about the King James. The King James Version is translated using something called the Erasmus Greek New Testament. And here's why that's important. Most of you are like, I don't, who cares? <laughs> the Erasmus Greek was, or the Erasmus Greek New, New Testament was created by, with only using like five um, or six ancient manuscripts. So here's what I mean by this. Since the Erasmus Greek New Testament was put together, we have gained thousands and thousands more ancient manuscripts mm. to better understand what the original Greek New Testament was. Okay. So the King James Version was only working with half the playbook, or actually a lot less, <laughs> a lot than, less half than half the playbook, right? right. right. Um, and so that's really important. And, and some of the new manuscripts that we have go way closer to the original than what they were working with. The other thing I, I don't like about the King James, and we know there's mistakes in it, even the updated ones, is that it was used translating with just a small group of people. Mm -hmm. The reason why I like the NIV, um, and I'll just kind of put all my cards on the table, is it's kind of in the middle of the spectrum between the word-for-word -word and the meaning-for-meaning -meaning translation. Mm -hmm. And it was used with an ecumenical, meaning people from different denominations and, and crosses of faith in, in the Christian faith, to translate... Uh, into this English version. So there were people that were Calvinists and Arminius. There were people, there were women and there were men. Mm -hmm. Sometimes these translations have all men and no women oh, perspectives sure, yeah, to it. Sure. And so it there for at least my understanding is that the NIV does a good job of getting a cross reference. It's not perfect, but mm -hmm. getting a cross reference of interpretations or input into the interpretation that comes to it. But the King James Version used a very small number of people and then finally, the English has changed significantly since the King James Version came out. Oh, yeah. So English language, since it's changed, then you're probably going to get some meanings wrong in the English King James because we don't talk that way anymore. Mm -hmm. And so we might misunderstand the interpretation because the way that we talk about stuff today is different than what we talked about when the King James Version came out and when, when it's been around. Yeah. There's been updated ones, and some of them are okay, but I just... Since it's based on the Erasmus Greek New Testament, um, I like the other translations a little bit better. If you love the King James, man, don't 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 let me ruin your day. Like, <laughs> stick with it. Yeah. Just know that there there's some problems with all of these translations. There's no problems with the original Bible, the, the original text. Right. But there's some problems when we ask some folks to try and get it into our current language. Language is a tough thing to understand. I'm sure, yeah, for Linguistics sure. is crazy, and it's always changing. So. Awesome. When it comes to which one, like if someone's thinking about that, right, just depends on what you're looking for. If you're a student and you're wanting to study a little bit more, I would recommend one of the more word for words, mm -hmm. um, and I would get a word for word Bible that's really plain and doesn't have all the added titles and things like that, so that you're not listening to what an interpreter is telling you all the time. Uh, if you're looking for readability and things like that, then I would get one that's more meaning for meaning. That reminds me, when we've talked about my Bible purchasing uh, mm -hmm. story before, but at the time that that happened, there was a guy there who was from, I forgot, Cuba or Peru, or, mm -hmm. uh, and he was asking me, you know, which one do you pick? What do you choose? And I was... Yeah. And I I mean, I at the time I hadn't thought about it, so I didn't really have a good answer to that question. But I think, you know, go through them. Uh, maybe, like whenever I go to... 
uh, a Chinese restaurant. Mm-hmm. I order the sesame chicken. That's my litmus test, and I, I base every different restaurant I go to off of that di- that dish. Yeah. Or if it's you know fajitas or whatever, at a Mexican restaurant, and that's how I judge that particular restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> so I would say maybe take your favorite passage or scripture. Well, or, like in, in well here's in, here's. Here's try them out. You yeah, know? try it out. And here's here's another thing. Like I use a bunch of different translations. I know all of y'all are not trying to approach scripture in the same manner that I do because right. I'm trying to get to a point where I can teach and expound upon it, um, like all the time. And mm-hmm. so there's there's re- but I look at different ones. Mm-hmm. So when I'm first studying a text, I look at a word for word, but then eventually I may look at a, a meaning for meaning to make sure that I'm grasping what the original text meant to be. And the meaning carries over. The other recommendation I would say is if you're really struggling with this or you want some of the, there are parallel Bibles that have both. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. there are Bibles right. where you can get like the NRSV with the message. Mm-hmm. And so you can get some of the poetic next to like some of the real strict word for word. And there's a lot of different things you could do. That's cool. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, we're we're not getting any kickback from buying Bibles. I was going to say, just go buy a bunch of different versions. But that's even... I mean, even like, better. well, it's... when I memorize Scripture, I memorize from the NLT because it kind of reads and flows a little uh-huh. bit better. It's easier for me to, to memorize. Cool. The reason why I preach from the NIV is because theologically I trust it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I just trust what it says when it talks about women in ministry and mm-hmm. different passages or hints at it. Like, I just trust the people that got into it. But it's... It's a nuance that many people wouldn't pick up sure. on. Sure. Yeah. Cool. All right. That's all I got. I think I've talked a whole lot here. That was good. I think we're going, yeah. everyone has got their money's worth. Okay. Good. good. So uh, tell us, give us a little preview of next week's sermon. Yeah, you topic. thought this one was big. Uh, the next one is kind of the problem of evil. Why do, why do bad things happen to good people? Oh, boy. Yeah. So just talking about kind of uh-huh. uh, evil and justice and... And some of those aspects. So come mm-hmm. check it out. It's a big one. It's also a question that's really hard to answer in, yeah. in one set or format. So I hope you'll check out the 515 next week. But it'll be good. Oh, one last preview I want to give you. Uh, at the 11 o'clock Vine this week, we're going to have missionaries come and speak. Mm. Okay. They're going to share the stage with me. I might interview them a little bit. They've been in places where evil exists in a way that you and I don't experience all the time. And so... Um, they're actually, we can't even say exactly where they serve because wow. they're in that kind of a, mm-hmm. a mission field right now. And so I'm excited to have them and I hope everybody can join us at, at 11. For I know you always say they're, you know, they're Christians who are being persecuted mm-hmm. today mm-hmm. all around the world. Yeah. And it's easy for people in the bubble of Kingwood to like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. But that is a very real thing. Mm-hmm. And I look forward to seeing, hearing these people. Yeah. Uh, talk about that yeah it's gonna be awesome yeah that's great all right man well thank you jason thanks everybody for listening thank you so much we will see you next time yeah later bye